Hi, and welcome. I'm Steve Martorano, and this is The Behavioral Corner. You're invited to hang with us as we discuss the ways we live today, the choices we make, the things we do, and how they affect our health and well-being. So you're on the corner, the behavioral corner. Please hang around a while. I can't tell you how much fun it is to hang on the corner with you all, particularly as we work our way through uh, September, uh, even as we speak. You can feel a little bit of autumn in the air. So if you're, you know, in the neighborhood, you see us, uh, Gavin, come on by and give a listen. As we work our way through uh, September, which is National Recovery Month, we return now to people that I've spoken to many times over the years as I've done these programs, and that's the Ca- uh, Council of Southeastern Pennsylvania. And uh, boy, when it comes to uh, the entire area of substance abuse treatment and prevention, uh, the folks at the council are no Johnny-come-lately to this uh, to this particular area of behavioral health. The uh, the council, which is, as I said, set up for southeastern Pennsylvania, is located in Doylestown, uh, PA. Those of you in this area know all about Doylestown in Bucks County. And they have been at it since 1975. In fact, as I look at their website now, I see the date September 15th is when they formally were incorporated. So this is kind of an anniversary as we uh, say hello to uh, one of their uh, one of their executives one of their people uh, Sarah Thompson joins us from the uh, Council of Southeast Pennsylvania um, we're going to find out all about uh, uh, Sarah and the work she does she is a clinical supervisor case management services for the Council of Southeastern Pennsylvania and she's hanging with us on the corner Sarah thanks for joining us we appreciate it Thank you for having me. Yeah, really, it is. It's kind of it's kind of an anniversary for you guys. The fifteenth of September, just uh, I guess about a week ago. Now, you you guys since nineteen seventy five. Boy, it's amazing because the public, as you know, the public on a mainstream basis really didn't get their heads around uh, the devastation and the size of the substance abuse problem in this country with the um, with the opioid epidemic, which you know is relatively new in terms of consciousness on a broad base, but you guys were, you know, in the trenches a very, very long time ago. Can you tell us just a thumbnail of the council and uh, its its kind of mission? It, this is a grassroots organization, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's a nonprofit. And it's funny that you say the opioid addiction because it's not just opioids we really touch on. We touch on any kind of addiction that you're having and we're multiple pathways, meaning that it doesn't matter what kind of recovery you believe in. We want to help you and we want to see you succeed in that recovery. So we have different kinds of departments. Um, it was funny because I was talking to our executive director and I was like, how many departments do we have? I wanted to kind of get all of the knowledge because I know, you know, what I do, I know what you know, other people at Bristol do and stuff like that. But I wanted to kind of pick her brain real quick. And she's like, you know what? It's kind of funny because all the departments that we have are so vast. So let's not even go into that. We have really opened ourselves up to just any and all department we can. We have three different huge pillars, really. um, And they kind of go under each of our directors. So we have um, prevention, education, and training. And what they do is they have like student assistance programming. They have 
training, stuff like that. We are a certified DDAP trainer. Um, we work student assistance programming, like I said, within Bucks County. Um, we also do intervention treatment, which that kind of falls under where I'm at with case management. So we're like clinically trained uh, case managers. We also do interventions. We do treatment. So we have DUI programming. We, we really do it all within like the treatment type outpatient. Um, we also have a new RISE program, which is in Quakertown, which is one of the first adolescent programs that the council has in an outpatient setting. Like we've done other adolescent programming in an outpatient, but this is like a true adolescent one-stop shop. We have CRSs, we have counselors, we have everything there, and um, it's pretty new. So we right now have an open house throughout September on Wednesdays. Um, so we really urge people to come out and check out the new site. It's absolutely gorgeous. Uh, Lisa Cornelius is the supervisor there, and she and her team have really put together just this amazing treatment center there. Yeah. Um, then also we have recovery support services and PROACT. And PROACT is probably what we're most known for because of the PROACT recovery walk and also our recovery centers that everyone just knows within our community. I remember for myself, first getting clean, going to these places and literally they just have everything. Like I said, we are just all pathways. So it didn't matter what kind of treatment you were in and 12 step church based MAT. Like we just wanted to accept you for whatever kind of recovery you were in. And these recovery centers have now just become kind of like monumental sites throughout mm -hmm. the community. Mm -hmm. We have them in Philadelphia, Montgomery County, Bristol, and people just really go there to find home in their early recovery and even later recovery. You know what's amazing about the, the, the work of the council and the fact that you've been doing it for so many years now, and that is that in, in spite of all this, there's still this, I, I get this sense, and you tell me if I'm wrong, that when the disease of addiction uh, sh uh, shows up or substance abuse or any of the issues of behavioral health that you just talked about, no matter what, what help is actually out there, People are stuck. They're stopped. They don't. It's not like you ask a neighbor to recommend, you know, a good plumber. Um, there's <laughs> there's still some stigma attached to this. There's some associated shame, and, and so people just don't know, you know, where to turn. Is that among the most difficult things about the work of the council? Is is getting the word out that I mean, as you just described, that you're a one stop shopping place for a wide range of stuff. How do you get the message to people that there's an organization like yours available? So I really think a lot of, and I can speak for myself in this situation, it's making ourselves known within the community. I think for a long time, like when I used to go to community meetings, whether it was, you know, up in Doylestown or up in Quakertown, wherever it was, just kind of making ourselves known and saying that, like, we are here to help. And at first people kind of would look at us and say, oh, you know, we're good. Um, but then saying, like, we're here to help and we're not going anywhere yep. <laughs> because the, the disease of addiction and alcoholism and whatever it may be, even tobacco is not going anywhere. So we need to help you and we need to help your family. So let us help you. And slowly what would happen was we would help, you know, let's say Jane Doe, whoever it would be. And uh, then Jane Doe's family would tell the next person, mm -hmm. their neighbor, and then all of a sudden the neighbor would call us. And it, like you said, truly grassroots, because all of a sudden we were helping the whole neighborhood. Yeah. And then the neighborhood would tell the next neighborhood over. And it, it's amazing when you start to see communities utilizing our supports, whether it's recovery support services or SAP or ICM or MOMS or whatever it may be, or just the recovery center in general, and really 
vibing off of what we have to offer and then telling the next person because we can do all the advertising in the world. We can spend, I mean, we're nonprofits, so we're not going to spend that much money, but we can spend whatever cost amount. But really the heart of the council is from one person telling another that like, Hey, this worked. And I really think you should try it. I can't tell you how many referrals we got from word of mouth rather than us just going to tell people about it. Do people have to worry about what your services are going to cost them before they call you? That's the best question ever because realistically our programming was set up so nobody would ever have to worry about costs. Like I said, I can speak about ICM, which is case management, ICM and moms and other funding like that as such as recovery supports. We're mostly based off of the Medicaid funding um, and also county funders have picked up our funding too. So whether it's the commission funding through Bucks County, they have also supported our cause and the commission is always more than willing to fund many of our participants who do not have a Medicaid sort of funding. So we can help anybody. And then there are also people who do have private insurances who we can put on a self-pay scale and it's virtually little to no cost to them because we really do want to help out within the community. Also, the fact is people who come to our recovery centers, it's no cost to them. It's a walk-in center. There was a guy who used to work at our center and he say it's the YMCA for recovery. So just walk on in. There are no membership fees. All you have to do is just sign in and anyone can come in. It doesn't matter who you are, where you're from. We just want to help you. All our funding comes through SCAs. We are up and running to help you and no membership fees, like I said. Well, there we get just obliterated another reason for, um, you know, getting help. It's available and there's no price we not want to pay for the kind of um, support you give and, and, you know, getting people into a sober lifestyle. And I know it's a barrier for, for a lot of people. Exactly. And I always say to a lot of our participants, I'm like, just sign up. It's free. <laughs> and if you don't like it, then cancel your subscription. Yeah, there you it's, go. Not, it's not like a bad magazine order where you have to jump through hoops. Just tell us you want to cancel. And then I can honestly tell you that Nine times out of ten, nobody ever cancels because they're like, oh, wait, this is free and someone's here to help me. Mm. Or if you walk into the recovery center, you're most likely never to stop coming until you then realize that you want to volunteer or eventually get a job with the council, you know, years down the road. Most of our volunteers eventually become employees, and it's really cool to see a lot of those people become employees down the road uh, with years and years in recovery and stuff like that. So it's really cool to see people progress in this, yeah. you know, lifestyle. You know, you know, you've just given us a, an incredibly broad picture of what you guys do and the services that are provided and the people you're trying to reach, all of which has been profoundly impacted, like everything else by the pandemic. So tell us a little bit about what the council has done with regard to pandemic support. So pandemic supports, as most service providers within our community, we were faced with a very uncomfortable time. It happened very quickly. Um, And then our executive director and all the other directors called together a leadership meeting and we were all sat in front of Zoom kind of trying to figure out what to do. Once again, like most people within the community, we jumped on Zoom, we jumped on other telehealth resources, phone calls. So we started really utilizing Zoom for a while. And once there was some sense of, okay, masks are okay, hand sanitizers are okay, we really started trying to meet with participants again 
socially distanced, but we had to get creative with it. I, like I said, I know for case management, what we started doing is we said, hey, we'll meet with you, but you have to do this. So we, we built out a budget to, you know, get face masks and face shields for our clients who were a little bit more at risk. Uh, we started meeting socially distanced outside. So for the first time, we had to think really quick on our feet because we realized that we could only use these telehealth and Zoom resources for so long. We have a lot of the clients we talked about, we needed to meet with in person. You could only do Zoom for so long because a lot of these people were going through crisis situations. We hold a lot of crisis intervention programs within case management. Um, so, And also within our DUI programming, within RISE, you can really keep people captured for so long on these telehealth resources. Mm-hmm. So we really started utilizing PPE and such resources at that. What is PPE? Just like the protection equipment, like oh, the face oh, mask oh, yeah, 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 and yeah, yeah. face shields. Yeah, yeah. Well, exactly. So we started doing that. We're still holding telehealth meetings with clients who offer that because we want to also respect people's boundaries. Mm-hmm. Some people don't want to meet in person yet. Yeah. Some people may wake up and they might have a stuffy nose and say, hey, for your sake and mine, I'm not going to meet with you today. But we're really trying to utilize PPE. We're trying to utilize telehealth when possible because under Governor Wolf's order, we still have to telework when possible. But for people who do need to meet in person, we're going out, meeting within the community, socially distanced, and really trying to still deliver services to people as needed. Yeah, you know, uh, the pandemic um, has overwhelmed everything. It has been the topic of conversation, understandably, since we first realized the gravity of the situation. It's only now that some of the ancillary, you know, tragedies associated with the pandemic uh, have, be, have made their way back into the mainstream uh, media. One of those things is the increase in uh, in uh, relapse and overdose because of the isolation of this disease. You're dealing with a, a there are loads, I guess, of uh, relapse help yeah. and services you guys provide, right? Uh, we, we're noticing relapse, of course, but I, <laughs> everyone who has met me always says Sarah's last half full. And I feel like you have to be in this field or else you become super negative and then leave. <laughs> so yeah, I've never um, heard anybody I, happier about what they do than you, Sarah. Right <laughs> I, I try to be because I've been in this field for almost 10 years now. And being a person in recovery too, you have to look at the positives or else you'll become super jaded very yeah, quickly. We're going to get into your story straight ahead. With people in our supports, what I've noticed is that yeah, we've had relapse, but we've also had a lot of success. And I want to put a picture on that, like, because we've had people who now are able to make meetings who may have not had transportation due to the Zoom support. I can think of, like, a couple clients in general who have contacted us and talked to us during, you know, telehealth or even meeting in person. And they said, you know what, I can make six meetings a week now because they just hop on Zoom and it's great. And I've never had this availability in my life before, mm-hmm. or, you know, they're able to meet with their counselor at their methadone clinic more frequently because their counselor has more ability due to telehealth. So there are more resources available now as a silver lining due to this pandemic, yeah, I know. even though it's a little bit more uncomfortable because it's 
via telehealth or via Zoom or whatever it may be. But that's kind of the silver lining that these resources are more readily available now. So while there has been that sense of relapse and people feeling unnerved due to the pandemic, we've also seen some people become really successful because they're able to make more meetings than ever or more support groups or more whatever it is. Yeah. One of the reasons that that, uh, we all benefit from September being designated as National Recovery Month is that we get to talk about the things you just mentioned and a couple of items there that are always worth repeating. Look, as much help as there is available and as large as the problem is, still a very, very small group of people who are suffering from these problems actually get the help. Having said that, having said that, though, uh, one of the things we love to remind people of all year long, but certainly during National Recovery Month, is that millions, and I mean literally millions of people, manage to work their way through this uh, disease and wind up in long-term successful recovery. The, it, it's just it's so important to, to remind people of that. As you just said, there are loads of success stories out there. You know, I first, I guess, became aware of the council through, as you mentioned, PROACT, and I get it's not the crown jewel of your yearly work, but it's for years one of the really big efforts of the council and PROACT, and that was the uh, recovery walk that you guys do uh, every year at this time. The most recent one done virtually. We'll talk about that in a second. I remember I've been to a couple of those. They were always wildly successful. There are loads of people there um, and all uh, in celebration of long-term successful sobriety. So uh, as we mentioned, I guess it was the 12th of uh, September, the the walk did occur again, but it, like everything else, uh, was was done online. Tell us how that went. (laughs) The coolest thing about the recovery walk is it doesn't matter if you have one day or if you're still trying to get your life together or if you have 50 years. Um, The recovery walk welcomes everyone. And that's what I loved about the recovery walk. And I remember... I had a couple of years in recovery at that point, but I remember going, <laughs> I was with another agency at that point and just looking around and being like, this is the most amazing thing. And then knowing at that point that I wanted to be part of the council in some way or some form. So the council at that point became like my, it sounds so corny, but like it became a little bit of a dream for me to work for them. And then for like the next couple of years, I found my way into case management and then I ended up with the council. So it's funny that you say that because I think that's how I found out about Proact and the council because like that's how I found out about it because it's such a mega walk. Last year, prior to COVID, it brought out 30,000 people. Walking for recovery is just absolutely phenomenal. This year was on September 12th, last weekend, and it was still phenomenal. <laughs> and I, once again, I say that with the glasses half full time mentality. But so what we did is we did a virtual walk and we did 1.5 miles and you do it at your own discretion or at your own pace on that day. Obviously, it's not going to be a Penn's Landing. There were still representatives from the council who did the walk down at Penn's Landing, but most people did the walk by themselves at their own house. I did the walk within my neighborhood and I did it with my daughter and it was absolutely great. No, so it is, it is, we, it's, it's a great event. And as I said, I've been down there. I, I've seen it. That's 30,000 people just in Southeastern Pennsylvania involved. The, these walks go on in September uh, all over the country. It, it's just, it is an amazing thing. And we look forward to a time when, <laughs> you know, the virus is not dominating our lives and we can see those people again in the streets of their towns and cities. 
every storm runs out of rain, according to the great Maya Angelou. Her words can remind us of one very simple truth, that storms do cross our paths, but they don't last forever. So the question remains, how do we ride out this storm of COVID-19 and all the other storms life may throw our way? Where do we turn when issues such as mental health or substance abuse begin to deeply affect our lives? Look to Retreat Behavioral Health. With a team of industry-leading experts, they work tirelessly to provide compassionate, holistic, and affordable treatment. Call to learn more today. 855-802-6600. Retreat Behavioral Health, where healing happens. Sarah Thompson is uh, with us. She is a case management services clinical supervisor for the Council of Southeastern Pennsylvania. She's hanging with us on the corner. She comes to her work with a, uh, you know, a dedication to it for sure, out of an experience she had struggling with substance abuse. Can you tell us about that, Sarah? So I originally began my journey in recovery in 2008. My my recovery dates January 30th, 2008. Um, interesting fact about me is I got clean at the age of 16. And whenever I tell people that, it's always like an interesting topic. These people look at me and they're like, how, how bad was it? And I'm like, it was bad enough that I had to get clean at 16. It was one of those things that I am really grateful for the desire to stop at that young of an age. It wasn't easy for me. I had, you know, a bunch of barriers to tell me to stop in the way, realms of treatment, different stipulations. But when I eventually did get clean, I had so many supports. So that's kind of what led me to wanting to get into this field. Like I said, I've been in this field for almost 10 years. As soon as I could legally get in this field, I was kind of knocking down at the doors. I started in this field as a tech and I loved it. I, I knew that I kind of found my way and I went through the ways of going through college and, you know, finding my education within this field and just kind of building my way up. You say at 16, your problem was uh, so uh, severe that you decided to, uh, you know, get on the path to re- recovery. And so you're sober now. How many years? Uh, that's a backdoor way of asking you how old you are. <laughs> no, it's fine. Um, Twelve. I'm, and then this January is going to be thirteen years. My lucky number. <laughs> oh, that's a, that's a, that's terrific. But let me ask you this question because people might not uh, be able to appreciate it. At, at at sixteen, lots of kids uh, are experimenting and they're hanging with maybe the wrong people and they're all doing the same kind of bad behavior, marijuana and drinking, and maybe even harder stuff. You say it was significant enough at 16 to make you realize it wasn't youthful indiscretion. You had a problem. You arrived at that through your own, or did you have adults saying, Sarah, you need help? Or It's a very young age to go, I got to do something. I had just about everyone telling me to stop at that point. And like I said, it wasn't my first time in treatment. I, I have been getting treatment probably on and off since I was 14 years old. I mean, I, I worried everyone. At the point of 16, no longer was it about the drugs I had was using. I mean, obviously the drugs I was using were pretty bad, but it was about the place I had gotten to. And I always reflect that back in my story that, and, and this is where I relate to a lot of our client base. And obviously I'm in the clinical program 
that I run now, when I talk about this, it's the feelings of deprecation and just like feeling isolated and lonely and just hating my life. And she <laughs> said, you're probably the happiest person ever. And, and I wasn't this happy person. And, and so th- this happiness and this pure joy comes from the fact that like I get to live today and I don't feel completely chained down to my life anymore. Like the happiness and freedom I come from comes from like the choice I get to choose every day, like not to use a substance and like not to put myself into this deep, dark hole anymore. Yeah. Well, you were blessed in that you came to that realization so, so uh, early on. Most people, I would guess, at least those I've spoken to, don't get to that point. Um, it's it's a, another another illustration of, you know, the, the term we often hear is, uh, I got to hit rock bottom. And that's true yeah. to a certain extent. The problem is people don't understand that the bottom – can be anywhere. It can be anywhere at any time. It doesn't yeah. doesn't have to be when you're, you know, you're beat up in in your 30s or 40s. It can be yeah. uh, 16. But, but, and I had been using for a couple of years, right, and yeah. like that was my rock bottom. And it was so funny because I used to get so resentful when people used to say, "Oh, you're so lucky you got it so young." And now I can really appreciate that that I'm dawning on 30. <laughs> yeah, no. I, I can really truly appreciate the fact that I'm like, oh my gosh, like, thank God that yep. I did get it young. Because like now, you know, I have this beautiful life. Like I can be a clinical supervisor of a program that really does change people's lives. Yeah, and yeah, I, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. It, it works on two levels. You know, you get it yeah. together in an early age, so you have a much longer arc of happiness and sobriety personally, but you also, because of the field you chose, uh, had those additional years where you can help other people. So it's a, you know, it's a, it's obviously a win-win. So good for you. I would only add, and it's just my lay opinion that, you know, all you have to do, it seems to me is cheer up a little. <laughs> yeah, I'll try. <laughs> so but yeah, it's, it really, it truly is a blessing. And like that, that's something like I really try to implement in my life with like, not just my clients, but my employees and people like I just pass by every day that like, yeah, absolutely. I do have my bad days, but it's a lot better than like my last day. There are people out there that haven't gotten to that point where they know where to turn and uh, they have a problem and they don't know what to do about it. In the area we're discussing, Southeastern Pennsylvania, people need to do what to get a hold of the council to get help from them? What should they do? You can always go online to our website, councilofsoutheastdi.org, and you can always email us directly, or you can just give us a call on our phone. We have a hotline that is available to you, too. One of the other things we look at in September is uh, suicide prevention. Uh, if people are in that dark place as well, they, they can also call the council for help. Absolutely. So we obviously within our services, we are co-occurring. Like we don't discriminate. We want to help you. And if we can't help you, we will help you find someone who can. Sarah, again, you are the happiest person I've spoken to in a couple of days. And the (laughs) funny thing about talking to happy people is that it makes you feel happy. So we appreciate you uh, spending uh, some time with us on the behavioral corner. Uh, and as I said, we, you guys have been a great resource for this program and others that we've had over the years. So we hope we can call upon you uh, many more times in the future as, as the work goes on. Thanks, Sarah, so much. Absolutely. We would love that. Thank you so much. That's it for now. And make us a habit, hanging out at the behavioral corner. And when we're not hanging, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. 
on the Behavioral Corner.